Trinity Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Well, my uh, four-year-old son, Joshua, is very into superheroes right now. Uh, extremely into them. He, he loves his superheroes. He, he gets up in the morning and he puts his superhero underwear on. Uh, and he goes into the living room and he gets out his superhero toys and wants to watch superhero cartoons. Uh, it is something that is very much, he's very much into uh, with his life. And uh, because of that, every time we leave the house, it begins this negotiation about how many superheroes he'll be able to take with him. Uh, See, he has these little action figures, um, and I realize they are very small, and you are very far away, but trust me, they're here, and uh, they're interesting. And and, uh, he has all of these little guys, and he wants to take some of them with him uh, when we leave the house. And it starts this, this like, car-buying negotiation where he comes to me and says, Daddy, can I take take five guys um, with us when we go? And, and I'm like the, the car salesman. I'm like, I don't know, I've got to go talk to my manager. And I'll go over and like talk to Kimberly and what do you think? And then we come back, tell you what, we'll take three. He goes, four. Okay, four's the deal. We got it. So we'll gather up some guys and we'll take them and we'll go someplace. And, and, and his guys are very important to him. Uh, and, and he knows how many there are. Even though he's got like four zillion little guys, he knows exactly how many guys that he has and they're all significant to him. That's why it's a big deal right now that Iron Man is missing. Um, and he is, is looking for him, and he wants to know where he is, and he comes to me, Daddy, where is Iron Man? And I'm like, I don't know where he is. And like any good dad, I try to redirect. I don't know where he is, but I sure know where Batman is. Let's go play with him. And he, that's just not working for him. And at first, it's frustrating, right? I'm like, why? You have a bazillion of these. Why do you care if, if Iron Man is missing? Um, but the reason why he cares that Iron Man is missing is very simple. They're his guys. He's got them all. Uh, He knows their name. He has a place and a plan for each of them. And so when one of them is missing, it's a big deal. I mean, to me, looking on from the outside, at first I'm like, just play with something else. But but that's because they're not my guys. They're his. And so because I love my son, as we talk, eventually he, he will convince me that, hey, hey, I'll join you, Josh, in searching for Iron Man. And we're still on the hunt. Uh, we hope he'll turn up at some point. If you see him at your house, my son's been there recently, let us know. There's an APB out for Iron Man. Um, but but that's, that's kind of the way uh, it works around our house related to Josh and his superhero guys. And, and I was thinking about that this week because I think that there are some connections and some parallels between that story and my son's experience with his superhero guys in Revelation chapter 5. And, and you may be rolling your eyes right now at this forced connection, but, but we're going to get back to it. And hopefully, um, God willing, you'll, you'll see what that connection is. Uh, but today we're going to look at Revelation chapter 5 in a few minutes together um, as we see a message that, that I've called In His Hands. Uh, so if you've got a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 5. Uh, before we read it, you need to know the context of the book of Revelation. Um, the book of Revelation is a, is a book uh, that is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it's a, a contemporary portrait of the risen Savior. 
that was communicated by God to the Apostle John while he was living on the island of Patmos uh, in prison camp because of his faith in Christ. And early on in the book, John gets this vision of Christ, and then Christ gives him seven letters to deliver to seven churches in Asia that are uh, updates, report cards on how those churches are doing. And then after Jesus pins those letters to these seven churches, then John is ushered up into heaven. And in chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, John is in heaven viewing the scene and recording for us what heaven is like. And he begins with some general description in chapter 4. And when we get to chapter 5, John is zooming in on a very specific scene and a very specific aspect of what is happening right now on the other side of the crystal sea. And so in Revelation 5, we have that scene described, and, and, and let's just read it together. I'm going to begin by reading the first seven verses, and then we'll, we'll read some more in a minute. Revelation 5, beginning in verse 1, Then I saw the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written, and on the, uh, I'm sorry, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And what you see in these first seven verses in this picture of heaven is that in heaven there exists this scroll. In the original language, uh, the word scroll was the word biblion. It's the, the word from which we get our, our word Bible. And, and it rests in the hand of God. And this, this scroll had a lot of things written in it and on it, so much so that the inside was not large enough to contain what was written in this scroll. It had to be written on the backside as well. There was a lot in this scroll. And this scroll was something very important. That's why it was sealed shut. It was said it was sealed shut with seven seals. They would put seven seals, this number of perfection on it in the ancient Roman world uh, to really make sure that it was closed tight. Things that were sealed with seven seals in the Roman world would have been things like someone's will or a deed to a property. They were sealed shut so that nobody could tamper with the contents on the inside. And only a person of great authority would be able to open that scroll. And John looks at this scene in heaven and he sees this scroll which is resting in the hand of God. And he wants to know what you and I want to know. What in the world is in that scroll? I mean, there in heaven is something written down. 
There in heaven is, is lots of content that is of supreme importance to the people of God. And John sees that scroll, and he wants desperately to know what's inside it. But then he hears the murmuring among others, and he finds out that nobody in heaven and nobody on earth has the authority to open the scroll. And he looks around at all of these elders in heaven, all of these risen saints, and he looks around at all of these angels and angelic beings who are in heaven, and he says, surely one of them could open that thing and read it and tell us what it means. But they said, no, none of them can do that. And he thinks, well, well, I'm here. I'm from the outside. Maybe he's thinking he's like Frodo the Hobbit. He can handle what nobody else can. You know, let, me, let me grab it and open it and, and read and understand what it is. And they say, no, nobody on earth can open it either. And he begins to weep bitterly. John does, because he so desperately wants to know what's on the inside of that scroll. So what's in the scroll? Well, we know from extended contents, or extended context of the book of Revelation, that the scroll is actually somewhat of a deed to the earth. It's somewhat of a a plan for all of human history from that point forward. A plan that would include the triumphant return of Christ to the earth. A plan that would include the, the resurrection and the salvation of the people of God. A plan that would include the judging of unrighteousness and evil in the earth. A plan that would include the, the uh, tossing of Satan into the lake of fire and ultimately uh, his demise entirely. Uh, that, that is what was written in that scroll. And the reason why we know that is because when Jesus begins to open those seals... In Revelation chapter 6, judgment begins to flood the earth. What was written in this scroll is the future of humanity. It, it is literally Jesus has, or God has in his hand, the deed to the earth. And John is weeping because he's thinking, can, can nobody tell me how this story ends? Can nobody open that up? And remind me of who is really in control. And as he's weeping bitterly, one of the elders in heaven comes alongside him and he puts his arm around him and he says, John, 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 it's okay. I can't open it. You can't open it. But there is one who can. And that one is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Those words are used by the angel to describe Jesus in in very majestic and powerful and poetic ways. The lion of the tribe of Judah was the pronounced blessing that Israel or Jacob gave his son Judah that said, you will be the one who will lead my people. You will be the one who will lead the nation. A promise that ultimately would be fulfilled in Christ. It says, you're the root of David. David was promised a throne that would never end. And Jesus is the one who would wear David's crown. He would be the king of kings. But not only would he follow David, but he would be the root of David's authority and power. 
The one who is able to open the scroll is the one who God has planned all along from the very beginning. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And you would imagine that there would be this incredible majesty that would unfold, and there certainly is, but it's interesting how he's described. He's he's described as a lamb who was slain. See, Jesus got the authority to open the scroll. Jesus is the one who is able to take the deed of the earth into his hands, not just because he was born on third base, but because he would be willing to sacrifice his very body and to bleed his very blood so that that earth might be redeemed. And it describes him as one who has seven horns and and seven eyes, talking about the, the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God and the authority of God and his power resting firmly on Christ. And he says, Jesus is the one who can open the scroll. Jesus is the one who holds history and the future of humanity in his hands. Jesus is the one who knows where this place is headed, and he's the one that has the power and the authority to do something about it. Jesus has it in his hand. And and John's tears of sorrow probably turn to tears of joy because he knows that the future is in secure hands. John was in prison for his faith. He had seen all of his friends who were followers of Christ and the original disciples had all already been martyred at this point. He had to be wondering, who's really in control here? What does the future of this planet really look like? As he's probably thinking and wondering those questions, as he's seen evil pervade in every direction, he gets this picture of heaven and Jesus takes the scroll and he says, it's in my hands. What relief that's got to bring. And you know what, that, that, that is not just something that brings relief to John, that's something that brings relief to us as well. Knowing that the deed to the earth is in the hands of our Savior is an amazingly comforting thing because we live in, in a life and we live in a world where everything seems to spin out of control, doesn't it? Things seem to be going haywire with nobody at the wheel. A tragedy follows tragedy. The world seems to be spinning south in a hurry, and, and we can begin to lose heart. And we can begin to think nobody is in control and nobody's at the wheel and, and everything is just going to fall apart and we're going to get crushed under the weight of it all. And if we ever wonder that, if we ever think that, we need to remember who's got that scroll in his hands. You know, my uh, sister was telling me uh, about a, a, an experience at church that she had seen where uh, the pastor had spoken about um, the end of the world. And he'd spoken about some of Harold Camping's claims and and was talking about, though it didn't happen there, that one day there will be an end of the world and those things, um, and, and went through this whole message and, and just scared to death the people in the congregation. Uh, children were crying, and people were thinking, oh no, this is, this is terrible. Because when you, when you hear about the end of the world, and you hear about God's judgment that is to come, and, and Bruce is going to unpack for us over the next three weeks some of those thoughts, when you, when you hear about that coming, if you don't know that Jesus has his hands firmly on the wheel, that the deed to all that happens is squarely in the hand of the lamb who was slain, if we don't know that, it is a terrifying thing. But if we know Jesus as our Savior, 
we don't have to enter into the future afraid. We can look at what comes ahead with great optimism because we know how it ends. He wins. His plans are what will happen. As he opens those scrolls, it happens exactly as he has written it from the beginning. There's no mystery in it at all. Jesus knows where it's headed. It's firmly in his hands, and we can be encouraged by this truth. Now, one of the things that's interesting, though, is that this scroll, part of what it includes is judgment. For those that don't know Christ... For those that have rejected him, judgment is what comes to earth when Jesus will eventually open the scrolls at some point in the future. But what's fascinating to me about it is that the one who is able to judge, there's only one who could, right? It was Jesus. He's the only one who could open it up. The one who is able to judge is also the very one who is willing to save. Look at what it says uh, beginning in verse 8. It says, and when he had taken the scroll, Jesus, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Interesting, this is the only place in Scripture we find out that people in heaven are playing harps. You ever wonder where that comes from? You know, all the cartoons, there it is right there. Um, Golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. There are are bowls in heaven, which are the prayers of the saints gathered right there in the very throne room of God. The prayers that we prayed are gathered before God right there in His presence. And it says they sang a new song. This is the, the host of heaven. This is what they sing. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Speaking of the work that Jesus did, on the cross, dying in the place of sinful people. And it says, you have ransomed people for God from every tribe and from every language and from every people and from every nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. See, what you get in this picture of heaven is that the one who is able to judge, the one who is able to open the scroll and to judge the earth, that one is Jesus Christ, and he has a desire to save many. And not just many from one nation or from one skin color or from one era of history, but he has a desire to save people across the board from every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. This one who is able to judge is willing to save. And and we might wonder, why is it that Jesus has a desire to save? Why is it that, that he is pursuing more followers? I mean, he did not have to save anyone. God would be fully justified in saving no one because all of us are sinners and have walked away from God. But he has a willingness to save. But why is he continuing to save more? Why does he have this heart to continue to save more? Uh, the book of 2 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 9 gives us a little bit of a hint. In 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9, uh, there's reflection on why it is that the return of Christ is delayed. Why did Christ not return in the first century? Why is he not returned in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth? We can apply it all the way on up. 
The answer comes in verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The idea here is that Jesus is delaying His return so that all of those that He has called as His children have an opportunity to repent and come to Him. Now, not everyone will be saved, but Jesus is collecting His guys over eternity. And sometimes we think, we wonder, why is it that He's pursuing them? And the reason why is because He's got a deed to the planet. He cares about people in every tribe, tongue, or nation because they're His guys. They're His gals. They're His people. And I take you back to to my experience, you know. If I just look at all of these as generic superheroes, I I don't care that we have all of them. They're just stuff that my son has. But he views them not that way. He views them as his guys. They all have a name. They all have a place. They all have a role. And when one of them's missing, he's upset and he goes looking for them. The same way the God of the universe looks at the planet not just as a bunch of faceless, nameless people, but as, as people that he knows and he loves and he's called to himself. And he, and he moves throughout history and he moves throughout the planet, gathering together his people so that in eternity there would be those from every tribe, tongue, and nation and people group there with him. And here's what's amazing. As he is doing that, he invites you and me as his people who love him, to join him. You know, I, I joined my son in looking for Iron Man because I love him. I know that that is significant and matters to him, so I join him. How much more so when we think of the God of the universe who knows and loves individuals, how much more so Would we not want to, as people who love the Lord, join Him in searching for His followers? He knows where they are, but we don't. And He's asked us to join Him there. What an awesome, awesome thing that is. What an awesome privilege that we have. The reason why we have a team in Moscow is because we believe that there are some of the followers of God not yet discovered there, that God wants to call to himself, ransom through the blood of Christ. The reason why Bruce's messages are broadcast on the radio in Latvia is because we believe that there are followers of Christ soon to be out there. The reason why we have Pine Cove Base Camp next week here and encourage inviting uh, people from the community that might not know Christ is because we believe there are people around us that God is seeking. And He invites us to look with Him. What an awesome privilege we have. You know, as you think of ways that you might apply a message like this, I mean, one of the ways that we can apply it is by praying, and we're going to do that uh, before we end our service today. An opportunity to add our prayers to this bowl in heaven before the throne of God awaiting his response in his time, in his perfect ways, to answer the prayers that we have. That's that's one of the ways that we can respond. We can pray for God's work around the world. Another way we can respond is we can respond by helping to send people 
that go different places. Many of you probably have been a part of supporting some that are going on summer projects or who uh, are overseas. And sometimes we get those things and we forget what it really is. Really what it is is an opportunity for us to partner with what God is doing, seeking his followers around the world. Another way we can get involved is uh, by, by, by going ourselves. Uh, and, and we're going to have the chance to pray for this morning some of uh, Wildwood's members who are getting ready to go uh, to Nicaragua uh, in just a, a uh, uh, just just this week, and so actually, I'm going to invite you guys to come on up as we get as as I wrap this up. Um, but one of the ways you can get involved is to go yourself and um, be a part of a short-term mission trip. Um, not just for young people. I think about the Greens who went to Haiti last year. Um, just a great opportunity to go and participate in what God is doing around the world. And another way we can be involved is to stay. We can get involved by, by staying and being involved right here where God has planted us because God is calling people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, including your workplace or, or your neighborhood or your family, etc. Uh, but we have the opportunity to be with God on his mission of seeking and saving the lost. Um, you know, this, this team here, um, I'm so excited uh, that they are here and they're getting ready to go to uh, Nicaragua, uh, leaving this week. And, and we asked Landon Sagabil to just kind of fill us in so we can pray effectively. Fill us in on what, where you're headed, uh, what you're doing, those kind of stuff, Landon. Um, like Mark said, we are headed to Managua, Nicaragua. And we're just going to hang out with some locals. We are working with three ministries, one-by-one ministry, uh, the Refuge Project, and House of Hope. Um, Last year we went and we got to hang out with these groups and those of us who went last year, it was probably one of the most amazing experiences ever. So um, we are all excited. Uh, We have a pretty cool cool skit that we get to do. I'm excited about that. And yeah, just pray for us and we're very excited. Thanks. We we want to, as a church, um, be able to, to pray for you guys today. Um, as, as you get ready to go. So uh, let's, uh, would you join me in prayer? Father, we are, are thankful that you are, are willing to save, Father, and, and you um, have people in Nicaragua that we believe you're calling into a relationship with, with you through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that as this team goes, you would use them in partnership with Chase and Julie and one by one, and House of Hope, and Refuge Project, Father, to, to reach out and to share the love of Christ with others. Father, I, I pray that there would be a harvest of souls that would be trusting in you as a result of how you use this team. Father, I pray that you would find your followers there um, that, that you desire um, to reach uh, through them. And Father, I, I thank you for just the, the privilege of being able to, as a church, send this group out, Father, and we look forward to hearing the reports as they return of what you have done there. We pray that you would keep them safe. We pray that you would keep them encouraged. We pray that you would keep them focused on uh, the Savior as they're there. We pray that their relationships as a team would be good, and we pray that their ministry would be effective. And Father, I pray that you would be building into them your heart for the people of the world.
Thank you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.